Welcome to Practical Christian Living. It says, just simply, if you love God, you're going to love the brethren. If you say, I love God, I love to focus in on Him, I just hate going to church, I hate those Christians, I don't want to get to know them, I, well, then you're lying. Because if you love God, then you're going to love His people. It's just the way it is. How do we know if we are really saved? Well, does your life reflect your love for God? The book of James holds some self-examinations and faith tests of sorts that help us to examine our hearts, our commitment to Christ, and most importantly, our salvation. Be absolutely certain that you belong to Christ today. With our opening study in the book of James, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we thank you for your word as we take time now to turn not only our minds, but also our hearts and a, a desire for obedience to your word. You instruct us clearly in this book how you want us to live. You even tell us what pure and undefiled religion is in your eyes. And we want our rituals, we want our religion to mean something. We want it to matter. We don't want to be following you with some platitudes, living like Pharisees, and not really doing the work you've called us to do. We pray again that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would lead us and direct us. We pray that you would give us an understanding as to what this book is about, what the differences are, and what it means to each one of us. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 1, says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. It is well known that many people struggle with the book of James. There are, have been those in the past that have struggled with whether or not the book should even be part of Scripture because there is an emphasis upon works in the book of James. Unlike Galatians and Romans, in fact, we could probably say, unlike all of the writings of Paul, which have an emphasis on faith and grace, coming to God by grace through believing in Him. Paul speaks of what it takes to become a Christian. You won't even find that in the book of James. James never covers how you commit your life to Christ. In fact, James never deals with any deep theological issues like the book of Ephesus or the book of Colossians. In a lot of ways, James is like the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a very practical book that gets down to the nitty-gritty of what it means to be a Christian, how to live your life for God, how to be a godly wife, how to, to live for your family, what God wants from us. That's the book of 1 Peter. In a lot of ways, James is like that. It is that book that reaches out and tells us whether or not we're living the way that we are supposed to. Now, it's been such a struggle for some that some believe that it should not even be in the canon of Scriptures because it doesn't seem to make sense. Where Paul says, it is not by works that we are saved, but it is by faith through grace. 
And where James says, without works, faith is dead. And those two you know, quotations there kind of sum up Paul's writings and James' writings, and they seem to fight against one another. The most famous person to struggle with whether or not the book of James should even be a part of the scriptures is Martin Luther. When Martin Luther had wrote his commentary, kind of a commentary, Martin Luther would write out the Bible. He did it several times. He didn't have translations into German, so he did it himself. And he just wrote it out. He just translated it over into German. He gave a, a copy in German to his, his wife. Now, he would just write them out. He wrote a little intro to each book in, in some of them that he wrote. And in one of them, and you, maybe you've heard this before, he called the book of James a book of straw. Meaning like wood, hay, stubble. Like there's nothing significant in it. Yeah, he himself at one point had said there are no deep theological issues that are covered in the book of James. And we're going to see that he may be right. It is very rubber meet the roadish, very blue collar, we could call it. But what you need to know about that quote, and really people when they're going to quote it, they need to be honest about it, is that he literally repented from that quote. When he did his next edition, he removed it completely. And instead, he didn't give a glowing report to the book of James. In fact, in some of the, when he handwritten his own, he put the book of James behind Revelation. That's how he felt about it. And, and we're going to talk about why he felt that way in a moment. But he took it out. He, only in his first edition did he write, this is a book of straw. And in his second, here's what he wrote. In his second and following editions, he wrote, James is a good book. Now, that's not a tremendous glowing, you know, report on the book of James. But you've got to understand Martin Luther's background. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk who had been taught that you work your way to heaven. At one point, he put glass on the ground and he crawled hands and knees on glass because he thought that that's what it meant to show God you had a real heart for him. Martin Luther was reading the book of Romans and came across the passage on grace and suddenly the Holy Spirit lit his heart up, and all of a sudden he realized, there's nothing that I can do to be saved. There's nothing that I can do to gain favor from God. And Martin Luther became a champion for grace. If you spend any time reading Martin Luther's writings, he champions grace over and over and over again. No wonder when he gets to the book of James, and he reads... You be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. No wonder he goes, uh, for, for, that's going backwards, see? For him, it was going backwards because he had put that emphasis over on it. But your background often influences what you see. And I think that Martin Luther was so opposed to the works system that he could not see clearly what the book of James was talking about, which is a test as to whether or not you are really saved. The Bible says, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. The whole book of 1 John has a series of tests that Christians are to use to know whether or not you are saved. 1 John says, if you say, I love God, but I hate the brethren, then you are a liar and the truth ain't in you. Now that's paraphrased a bit, but that's what it says. It says just simply, if you 
love God, you're going to love the brethren. If you say, I love God, I love to focus in on him. I just hate going to church. I hate those Christians. I don't want to get to know them. I, well, then you're lying. Because if you love God, then you're going to love his people. It's just the way it is. So we're going to have that love. If you say, I love God, in 1 John, it says, if you say, I love God, but you don't want to keep his commandments, then you're a liar. I mean, it says it that blatantly. There are all those tests in 1 John, as well as there are in 1 Peter, as well, heavily in the book of James. So that James says, this is what a Christian lives like. And if you are not living like this, then you need to step back and ask, do I really have saving faith? It is possible, this is in the book of James, it's possible to have a demonic faith. That is, you believe, but you don't believe unto salvation. The demons believe and tremble, and the demons aren't saved. There's a faith that transforms your life. You are radically different because by faith, you began to follow God. But it isn't the works that come first and then the faith. It's the faith that comes first and then the works. And James never challenges that. When James says faith without works is dead, he's not saying works come first. He's simply saying, if you say I'm a Christian and you live like a dog in the world, then you're not. That's what he's saying. If you say, I'm a Christian, I love God, I'm living for him, and you are living for yourself, and you are just not living as a Christian at all, not following the principles that he lays out, then that is a sign to you that you need to get saved. And there are many people who have read the book of James, who have committed their lives to Christ, many people who thought they were okay. Satan is a counterfeiter. Satan is the father of lies. Satan wants to make you and me feel like we are okay when we are not. He wants us to go, I think I'm okay. I think I'm saved. I think I'm a Christian. You know, going to church is okay. I'm part of Calvary Chapel. I'm a Christian. I was brought up in a church or I was brought up in a denomination. I'm a Christian. When there are a lot of counterfeit faiths that are out there. So in other words, James will say to us as we make our way through here, this is what a genuine Christian looks like. And if you don't look like this, you need to examine whether or not you do. It is the choices that you make that reveal whether or not you've really had that saving faith. And if you've really had it, then you find yourself wanting to be obedient to God, wanting to get involved with other Christians. You find yourself wanting to do the things that God's called you to do. There's a desire for it. You want those things. If you don't want those things, you, and people have gotten mad at me before for saying things like this, if you don't want them, you don't want to keep God's commandments, you don't want to be involved with God's people, then I say, examine yourself to whether or not you're in the faith. Look and see whether or not you're, you're saved. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying you might not be. Right? I'm not saying you're not saved. Because, quite, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Right? There's nothing we can look at. Can't look in somebody's eyes and see whether or not they're saved. I had a guy one time who thought that. He came up to me after a service, and he looked in my eyes, just stood, kind of stared at me for a minute, which was awkward enough as it was. And then he said, okay. And I finally went, okay, I'll bite. What? What? What was the okay about? He goes, well, God has given me a special gift that I can look in someone's eyes and see whether or not they're really saved. I don't know if he saw a little Calvary dove inside my eyes or whether it was a cross that flashed. Yeah, yeah. 
There it was. Um, I'm a skeptical individual. I don't think that there is a gift of telling whether or not people are saved by looking in their eyes. But the proof, what does it say in Corinthians? Is in the fruit. Our lives are going to produce fruit. If you have a, a tree that says I'm a Christian and the fruit is ungodly, then that tree is a Christian. If I tell you I've got an orange tree in my backyard and you walk up to it and you go, those are yellow. That's a lemon tree. And I go, no, it's an orange tree. You go, no, it's a lemon. Look at the fruit. I go, no, man, look at the leaves. It's an orange tree. You go, you are one messed up guy. Because <laughs> although an orange tree and a lemon tree look the same, the way you know one's an orange tree and one's a lemon tree is by the fruit that hangs off of the thing. And the way that we know whether or not we've given our lives to Christ is by the fruit. And at this point, I'm quoting Paul. Paul telling us that we examine the fruit in our lives to see whether or not we've really made that commitment. We don't need to struggle whether or not the book of James should be in the Bible. It doesn't go against Paul. Uh, it's been said that Paul and James stand back to back and they fight opposite enemies. Where Paul is fighting legalism, those who would be legalistic, those who are overly religious. James is fighting a licentiousness that people feel like I can be a Christian and do whatever I want to do. One feeling like religion saves you, being fought by Paul. Paul saying, no, it's by faith, it's by grace that we're saved. And others feeling like I can do whatever I want to do, I'm saved, I'm okay. And, and James saying, no. You can't. If you look like that, if you're not doing these things, it's proof that you haven't committed yourself unto the Lord. Now, the book starts off with James, just simply James. We know who wrote the book of James. There's a really strong case made for it in history. There were several different Jameses in the Bible. There was James, the brother of John. James, who is the older brother of John, these are the two sons of Zebedee. You remember that James and John at one time wanted to call fire down from heaven and consume a, a city, and Jesus started calling them the sons of thunder, made up the little nickname for them. That was James and John. You also remember that John is the disciple that lived the longest, that as an older man in, say, you know, 90, 80, 85 AD, uh, as an older man, he pastored the church of Ephesus. He became the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he was so old, they just called him the old guy. That's what they called him. He was known as the elder because this is John. He was one of the disciples. He was one of them who walked with Jesus. And he's the old guy. That's John. Well, his brother James, remember, was part of that inner circle. Everywhere Jesus went, when he went to go raise that little girl from the dead, and he, and he said to her, Tabitha Kumi, little girl arise, he brought James and John and Peter. James and John, the, the two brothers, and Peter. You remember when they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration? James, John, Peter. Remember when they went into prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? James, John, Peter. Well, James was arrested with Peter. And Peter was put in prison. And James was killed with the edge of the sword. As a fairly young man, older than John, but still young. Why would God allow John to survive and become the old man and James to be taken at a young age. And which one got the better gig? Maybe if you talked to John, you would say, you know, I think I would have liked things to have been flipped. Or maybe James would have said the same thing. Or maybe James would have said, hey, I think I got the good end of the deal because I'm up in the presence of God. But 
this was not written by that James because that James was killed early on. He was the first of the disciples to be martyred. You remember that there were two James who were, if anybody asks you to name the 12 disciples, start off by going James and James. And you got two of them. Because there's James, the son of Alphaeus, and James, the son of Zebedee. Those were two different James. Or James, uh, the son of Alphaeus, is called James the Lesser. How'd you like to have that tagged onto your name? You have James the Greater, James the Great. That's the James that was killed with the sword. He's known as James the Great. And you got James the Lesser. But of course, then again, hey, humility, servanthood. Maybe James just felt like, you know what? I like that title. Just call me James the Lesser because I, I don't aspire to James the Greater. Then there is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. We saw it this last week in Matthew 1. It says in the very end, and he did not know her till she gave birth to Jesus, meaning that Joseph and Mary had a regular marital relationship afterwards. They had daughters, they had four sons. James, who eventually wrote the book of James, Jude, who eventually wrote the book of Jude. So you have two of his brothers who write two of the books of the Bible. And it's interesting when Jude starts his book, not, neither of them started by saying, James, the half-brother of Jesus. <laughs> they could, right? That gives you instant credibility, right? And Jude doesn't start off by going, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. Jude writes, starts off and says, Jude, the brother of James. That's how he identifies himself. And James, the brother of Jesus, became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And Peter was there with him. But James became the pastor of the church there. But when Jesus was ministering, first of all, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? That had to be, first of all, it had to be great in certain aspects, right? The, knowing Jesus as your brother. But do you guys have brothers? Do you have sisters? Do you guys fight? Well, Jesus probably didn't get involved in it. They probably, at one point, they probably said to Mary, you think Jesus is perfect. Which he was. <laughs> Growing up with Jesus must have been a blessing, but it must have been difficult. And I think at some point when Jesus began to minister and Jesus began to reveal himself as the Messiah, then we know this because the Bible says they went to Jesus to get him because they thought that he was out of his mind. Literally, the word means standing beside himself. They thought he was standing beside himself, that he'd lost his mind. I can see James and Jude and Joseph and uh, Simeon, the, uh, Simon, the other brothers, saying, I knew, I always knew it. I always knew he was going to flip his lid. I always knew it, something was wrong. He was too perfect. He was too, you know, righteous. I always knew it. And now he thinks he's the Messiah. He's out there. And Mary was with him. Do you remember? Mary and the brothers of Jesus came to get him. And they said to Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? But those of you that are here. And so Jesus talked about the relationship that we have which is just interesting the way that he did that. So there were a couple of different things. But we also know that sometime between the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, well, we know what happened in the middle of that because the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to the apostles and to James separately. So somewhere along the line, Jesus shows up after his resurrection to James by himself. James, I just wanted to say, God's got a call in your life. 
you're going to be the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Whatever he talked to James about, whatever, he appeared to James. And James and Jude were part, James specifically was part of that 120 that was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was given. By the time, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, James was there, solidly a part of the church there from the very beginning. He wasn't one of the apostles, although there is a reference in one of Paul's letters where he talks about James being a pillar. You remember that Paul is upset with Peter in the book of Galatians? Peter had come to Galatia to visit the, the Gentiles that he was ministering to there. Peter was sitting down having meals with the Gentiles because of the freedom they had in Christ. Peter was a good Jewish boy. He wouldn't have normally have done that. And then some of the Jews showed up from James, from the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, James. And they show up. And Peter withdrew from the Gentiles and ate with those Jews that came and set up their own little table apart from the Gentiles. And when Peter saw that, he left the Gentiles and went and joined the, his brothers at the Jewish table. And Paul says, I withstood him to his face, which I love that picture. Because history tells us that Peter was a big guy. And history tells us that Paul was a little guy with bow legs and watery, bulging eyes, and bald, and a horrible speaker. <laughs> that just, that's, that's who God used to turn the world upside down in the first century. You say, I, I'm not the kind of person God uses. Yes, you are. <laughs> You're the exact kind of person that God uses. And you see this little guy pointing his finger at Peter. I withstood him to his face. And then he says, and then I went to Jerusalem and I met with Peter and I met with James, and I met with John. He doesn't mean James, John's brother. He means James, the brother of Jesus. And he goes, so-called, and I love that he throws in so-called, so-called pillars in the church. So-called. He challenges them. He says, these guys are the pillars. So even though John, James isn't called, he's not one of the disciples, he's still a pillar in the early church. So much so that when Paul wanted to make sure that he was doing what was right, and Paul recognized, if I'm preaching something that is different than what these guys are preaching, then, and remember, Jesus appeared to Paul as well. He appeared to James, and he appeared to Paul. Paul said, he appeared to me as if one born out of time. But he also knew, if these guys are teaching something different than I'm teaching, then I'm wrong. So Paul went to Jerusalem to see if what he was teaching was the same thing. And they said, we don't want to put any restrictions on the Gentiles you're ministering to, Paul. We just want to make sure that they don't, and they threw out a few little things. We want to make sure that you give to the poor. And we want to make sure that you don't eat things that have been strangled, that have still have blood in them, which was very kosher, okay? And Paul writes, the very things we wanted to do. In other words, Paul isn't real impressed with their, with their little list of things to do. We, okay, you guys don't have to be circumcised, but we want to make sure that you give money to the poor. Paul goes, we already do that. It's the very thing we wanted to do. Okay, we'll follow your little rules. In other words, Paul's saying, there was no restrictions put on them. They could just come to Christ. And because of that battle that happened, I'd say battle, but because of that confrontation between Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul, we today are not Jewish. We don't have to go join Jewish churches or do Jewish things. We are now free to serve Christ from that place of freedom. Now that is the James that wrote the book of James. James, the brother of Jesus. James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James, who is very Jewish, ministers to Christians in Jerusalem who are Jewish. Paul is traveling around the world. His MO is to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. 
A few Jews give their lives to Christ and then a lot of Gentiles do. That's what happens when Paul goes around the world and preaches. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.